So I changed the um, opening of the message because of something that happened in my family this week. <clears throat> On Friday, uh, we were just sitting down for dinner. Literally, we were just sitting down. And I got one of those news bulletins on my phone from the Associated Press. And all it said was, 11 people killed in Virginia Beach. And um, my son, Josh, along with another young man from this church and several of their buddies, are in Virginia Beach this weekend. And as a dad, and, and Marilyn as the mom, our, our, it took our breath away. And so I immediately texted Josh and said, have you heard the report and are you all okay? And the five minutes between the time I sent that text and got his response were, was this kind of surreal moment. Because there's a part of you that says, I'm sure they're fine. And a part of you that says, I have no reason to be sure. And so you're waiting for this reply. And of course, the reply came, we're all fine. As we texted a little bit uh, following that, he said, it's, it's surreal because we drove past that building less than an hour before that incident started. And now all of a sudden, this thing that is just another mass killing in another city, not my own, all of a sudden was a little closer to home. These become, have become way too familiar in our culture. We're becoming way too numb to the reality of these tragedies where a guy with a gun and a grudge goes in with the plan of killing as many people as possible before taking his own life or being taken out by law enforcement. And I don't know the answer. I don't think there is an answer. I think there are a series of things that need to happen. Some are beginning to happen. But there are laws and law enforcement. There's mental health component to it. There's also a spiritual component. There's something in our country right now going on where we are angry. People are generally angry. And we're becoming comfortable with violence. Not just physical violence, but violent words. There's less and less civil discourse and more and more just angry words coming at each other. We're more and more convinced that uh, it seems to me that God is irrelevant and that the only judgments are judgments that take place in this life and not in the life to come. So I, I just bring this as, you know, a dad who had a brush with another one of these tragic events. And as relieved as Marilyn and I were that our son and his buddies were all okay, 
we were then very aware that there are 14 families that don't have that relief. And there is an entire community of people traumatized and grieving this visitation of evil and violence on their community. So if you're engaged in any way in this issue, whether it's in the legal component or the law enforcement or the the mental health part of this, the political part of this, if you're involved in this in any way, please talk to me. I talked to a couple of people after the first service. I'm just interested to hear um, what involvement you might have in all of this. The other thing that we're hearing now is, um, and it's in anger and I get it, we don't want your prayers. We want action. And I think we need both. I think prayer is powerful. And so I wouldn't, <clears throat> just because somebody in anger says that, I, I don't take that as, as anything to take seriously. So we're going to pray. And what I want to do is just give you an opportunity to pray, to pray for those families, to pray for those victims, uh, to pray for that community, however you feel led to pray. And then I'll close this out. So let's pray. Thank you that you hear our prayers, O oh God. I just confirm the prayers that you've already heard for those families that are grieving today. For that community in Virginia Beach. And I pray for our country. Don't allow us, God, to become numb to this kind of violence, to this kind of evil. We pray for your wisdom and guidance. We pray for a spiritual awakening as well. Your word tells us that when your people who are called by your name humble themselves and pray, that you heal their land. And so we pray healing on this land. I ask all these things in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So we're in this series right now where we've been talking about Worship Plus Two. Spent the last two weeks talking about the importance and value of what we're doing right now, these weekly gatherings where we come together to offer praise and worship and honor and glory to our Creator, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And these gatherings matter. They are important for us as a community. They're important for our area. They're important for our country. They're important for the world. And they're happening all around the world, people gathering for worship. They also are 
we come and we're reminded of who we are and whose we are in these times that we spend together. So they matter. And so I want to commend you for your commitment to these weekly gatherings. It's beautiful outside today. Why are you here? Don't have a shore house, is it? No. We're here because it matters that we're here, and so I just commend you for being here. But we're saying worship plus two. The two are, uh, have, all of this has to do with our spiritual growth. Um, the second one is specific things that we do to grow our own spiritual lives, and then the other is how we use our gifts, our talents, our all of the the things that God has entrusted to us to serve others. So those are the, that's the plus two. So this morning I want to focus our attention on growth, spiritual growth. Why is spiritual growth important? Why would you invest in your spiritual growth? And so the simple answer to that is that to be a follower of Jesus is to live a lifelong adventure of growth. It's what it means to be a Christ follower. To be a Christ follower is to be engaged in growth. The early Christians uh, weren't called Christians, actually. It wasn't until a couple of years after Jesus' uh, resurrection that they became known as Christians. So you can read about it in the book of Acts, the chapter, uh, the 11th chapter of Acts um, in the town of Antioch is the first time that Jesus' disciples were referred to as Christians. And as many of you know, Christian means little Christ. And so before that and since that, they were called disciples. When Jesus invited people to follow him, he was inviting them to become his disciples. And the word disciple in the Greek means to walk alongside or to be a student to walk alongside, or to be a student. And so Jesus' followers were the men and women who walked beside him, in some cases literally, and were studying the things that he said, that he did, how he behaved, what his priorities, all of that stuff they were studying to learn what it meant to be his followers. So to be a Christian, to be a disciple, is to be in this lifelong process of walking alongside and being a student of Jesus. One of the things that Jesus taught or said to his followers is that I have come to give you life at its most abundant. I've come that you would have life at its most abundant. Now, the thing about life is that any living thing is either growing or it's dying, right? Anything that's alive is not inert. It's not static. It's either making progress, it's growing, or it's in decline. That's the truth about life. Jesus said, I've come to give you a life, a growing, vital, vibrant life. And that includes our spiritual life as well. So we're in this process of growing, and it's a lifelong process. It doesn't end. It doesn't matter where you are in your journey with Christ. Maybe, you're, maybe you haven't even really made a decision about Christ. And so your growth 
your walk is in continuing to discover who Jesus is and to come to a point, a decision point, where you invite Jesus to forgive your sin and to become the leader of your life. That's where your journey is. You may have been, you may have been walking in faith for decades and it doesn't end, it doesn't stop. You've never arrived. We continue to grow. One of my heroes in the faith, a giant in the faith, only stood about four foot eleven. Her name is Mary. I called her Graham. My grandmother, Graham Keating, was a woman of deep faith. And I knew her in her 70s and 80s and into her 90s. And she was a woman who was always about discovering new things in her faith. And it had a vitality to it that was contagious. Graham went to worship every Sunday. She never drove a car. My grandmother never drove a car. She would walk to church. It was a three-mile walk. I know it sounds like one of those stories, right? You know, she did it in the snow, uphill, both ways. But she literally, she walked three miles to church every Sunday. What's ironic is there was literally a church a block from her home. But she wouldn't go there because it was Methodist. (laughs) Graham was no Methodist. She was a Baptist. When she got into her 80s and she couldn't walk, that full thing anymore to her Baptist church. She reluctantly went to the Methodist church and finally admitted to me, you know, they're not that bad. (laughs) So she went to worship, the point of that, she went to worship every week. She was always engaged in some kind of study with other uh, believers, you know, some kind of Bible study, small group. She was engaged in that. And, um, And then she had her private devotion time every day. She would sit with her Bible and maybe a devotional, and uh, she would do some readings and, uh, uh, and pray. Now, as I was growing up, uh, Graham lived at the shore, and so in my teenage years, I always had a summer job at the shore. And it was usually within easy walking distance of Graham's house. And so at lunch, for my lunch break, I would go to Graham's, and she would make me lunch. And she loved that because then she could talk to me about the stuff that she was learning. So it wasn't just that. I mean, she would talk about other stuff too. But always a part of lunch, she'd say something like, I just, you know, heard a sermon about something I was interested in, or I just read something in the scripture this morning that caught my eye. And, and she would tell me about it and she would ask my opinion about it and so forth. And so she just had this vital growing faith that was contagious. What I didn't realize is that she was also mentoring me. You know, it's not like she needed the opinion of a 15-year-old about what the scriptures had to say, but she was mentoring me about how to to be a disciple in, in this growth process. So her whole life, she lived into her 90s, was a growth thing. We're either growing or we're dying. Jesus talked about this in one of his um, parables. He said, the word of God is like seed that goes, you know, it's spread out onto soil. And there are different kinds of soil. Some is rocky and, and uh, it's not very deep. And so it, something will grow for a short time and then die. 
Some falls among the weeds, some falls among the thorns. And what he was describing there is someone who receives the word, who begins to grow in their faith, but then stops investing in their faith. He said we get caught up in the worries or the pleasures of this life and we lose our vitality. We stop investing in our growth and weeds and thorns begin to grow and our faith can die. We're responsible, Jesus said, for our spiritual growth, for investing in our spiritual growth. Here at Hope, we talk about a disciple being a person who is in the process, you know this, right? In the process of being conformed to the image of Christ for the sake of others, right? So we are in this process. It's a process. Here's what the dictionary definition of a process is. A process is a series of actions or steps taken in order to achieve a particular end. It's a series of actions or steps. It's active, right? It's moving. In fact, here we call our small group's ministry next steps because it's about action. It's about movement. It's about taking steps to grow. So we are in this process. It's active. It's engaged. It's not passive. It's not inert because that's how life is. And Jesus came to give an abundant life. So we're in this process, right? We're being conformed to the image of Jesus. This process, the end to this process, the goal of this process is to be conformed to the image of Jesus. What's that mean? That means that increasingly, my attitudes, my actions, my priorities are coming into alignment with who Jesus is. That's the process, that my actions, my attitudes, my priorities are getting more and more consistent with who Jesus is. John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist Church um, in the 18th century, also led the Great Awakening of the 18th century, Wesley said that the goal of Christianity is to be made perfect. Do you hear that? The goal of Christianity is to be made perfect. Who's there? Show of hands. <laughs> right? So what we tend to say is, well, I'm perfect. No, nobody's perfect. I'm not perfect. That, nobody's going to ever be perfect. Right? But Wesley said, no, that's not true. If our goal is to conform to the image of Jesus, Jesus was perfect. That's what made him um, qualified to be the sacrifice for our sins. He lived the perfect life, and so he became the sacrificial lamb for our sins. And so as we're living out our lives, we want to become more and more aligned to him. We want to become perfect. What does that look like? Wesley said that perfection... It's not about perfect, you know, that I obey all the rules and I walk in between the lines and, you know, like I'm living a very uptight life. Wesley said that perfection is about being made perfect in love. Being made perfect in love. That's 
the end. That's the goal, to be made perfect in love. Anybody there? No. One honest person in the group. (laughs) No, I'm not there. You're not there, probably. If you're there, somebody asked the question, if you're perfect in love, would you know it? That's a great question. I'll leave that to the philosophers. I don't know. But that's the goal, right? Is to be made perfect in love. That's, that's what we're shooting for. So this, this growth thing, it's, it's not just about having more information about Jesus, right? So that, sometimes we equate our spiritual growth with having more information. So I've gotta, you know, read more and study more and, and so forth. And, and it's not really about having more information. It takes information, but really the goal is that my daily life is increasingly conformed to Jesus. So one of my other heroes, one of the other giants in faith, besides Graham Keating, is a guy named Tony Dungy. Tony Dungy is uh, the former head coach of the Indianapolis Colts. He was the first... African-American head coach to win a Super Bowl. Did it twice. Tony Dungy is also a Christian. Let me read to you something that he said, and the quote will be up on the screen for a while for you to take a look at. You can take a picture of it. It's worth keeping. Dungy said this, I don't have the strength or wisdom to get through a single day without guidance and grace from God. If people didn't know me and only knew my uh, public persona, what I'd want them to know is everything that I do, I do for the glory of the Lord because of my Christian faith. That's who I am. That's who I am. Head coach, NFL, that's pretty rare. That's pretty stratified error. Not many people get to that level in their profession, whatever your profession is, where you're at the highest point. But what's he want people to know about him? Not that he's a head coach, not that he is a TV commentator these days who's really good at predicting games, by the way, but that he is a Christ follower. And it's a daily thing for him. He needs that daily input for wisdom and strength. So the question is, in each area of my life, how do I honor God? That's a growth-oriented question. How do I honor God in my marriage? How do I honor God in my parenting? How do I honor God in my workplace? How do I honor God in my community life? How do I honor God? How do I conform to the image of Christ? So it's this daily thing. It's a lifelong thing. It's a growth-oriented thing. It's active. It's alive. How does it work? What are the things it takes to grow? Bless you. Spiritually, right? What are the things it takes? First of all, 
it takes more than trying. It's not about trying, it's about training. It's not about trying, it's about training. Say that with me. It's not about trying, it's about training. Trying says, I'm going to give it a shot. See how it goes. I'm going to give it a shot. Imagine if that was your thought around running a marathon, right? You know what? I think I'm going to run a marathon. I'm going to give it a shot. I'm going to try to run a marathon. I got new sneakers, you know. I, I know there's one coming up. I paid the uh, entry fee. I'm going to run, what is it, 26 miles? How much? 26.2. 26.2 miles. This is why God invented the car, by the way. (laughs) So people don't have to run 26 miles. But, you know, some people want to... So if I said I'm going to try and I just, you know, I got all the equipment and I, and I go to run, I'm, I'm not going to get very far down that road. I'm certainly not going to make 26 miles. People who run marathons train. And I've been with people, you know, talked to people who have actually done this. It's months long, daily effort. Right? There's a whole pattern of things that you need to do to prepare yourself physically and mentally to be able to run a marathon. It's training, and it's daily. And the same is true with spiritual growth. It doesn't happen by accident. It doesn't happen because, eh, you know, maybe I'll give it a try. It's a discipline. We talk about spiritual disciplines. It's a discipline. And a discipline means that I put it into my calendar, right? My daily, my weekly, my monthly calendar. So you guys are here today. So you've got it in your calendar, whether it's physically or not. You've got it in your calendar that Sunday mornings I'm going to go to worship, right? That's a weekly thing that you do. It's a weekly discipline to be reminded of who you are and whose you are, right? What's in your daily calendar for spiritual growth? What's in your monthly calendar for spiritual growth? What kind of training are you engaged in to help you grow in your uh, spiritual life? So in this series, we've been looking at Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, and in those six verses of Scripture, there is a descriptor of the birth of the church, when the church first got started. So there's over 3,000 people who are a part of the church at this point, and we get this, this snapshot, if you will, I like to call it the baby picture of the church, that gives us an idea of what they were doing, what was going on when the church was first formed in those early uh, weeks and months of of the church. And in that snapshot, we see four spiritual disciplines being lived out among the believers. Four spiritual disciplines. They worshiped together. Okay, So they met in the temple courts for worship on a regular basis. So they were worshiping together, and that was part of their, of their uh, activity, right? So we've talked enough about worship. You can never talk. Okay, but you know what I'm saying. Uh, you, worship has, has importance and value. The second thing 
is that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They wanted to know from the disciples, those who walked alongside, who were students of Jesus, what did he say? What did he do? What was he about? What was he like? We want to learn about Jesus. And so they were devoted to these, to these apostles now who were, who were now teachers. And I'm sure it was a very interactive kind of thing. So they were listening, you know, to hear about what Jesus said. But I'm sure they were asking questions. Well, why did he say that? Why did he do that? That's so different than anything else I've ever heard. Is that right? And I'm sure there were times where they were saying, that's amazing. It's all making so much sense now. Study is part, is a, is a spiritual discipline. That's why we encourage small group ministry here at Hope. It's that opportunity, not just to hear teaching, but to interact with it. You know, this, what I'm doing right now, this, this lecture thing, is awesome. But it's, it's not necessarily the best way to learn, is it? One of the best ways to learn is when you can interact with the material. So that's the value of getting into a small group is you get to ask questions, make comments, hear comments from other people, wrestle with things. I love it. I've been in a small group my whole adult life. Recently, in the last several years, small groups I get to be a part of are often groups um, with people who are new to the faith or new to being in a small group and looking at the Bible. And I got to tell you, as long as I've been studying the Bible and in small groups, there isn't a small group that I've been a part of where I haven't had new insights. Where these people who are looking at it for the first time are having insights or questions that are new to me. I'm going like, that's so cool. That's, that's why I love the small group thing. That's, that's the beauty and genius of the small group um, among other things. All right, so they're, they're in worship. They're uh, studying together about, you know, what Jesus said, what he, what he taught, and, and who he was. They were committed to prayer. Study is about what happened, right? It's historical information that we're wrestling with and how it might apply today. Prayer is about the dynamic activity of the Holy Spirit at work today. Prayer connects us with the Holy Spirit, the power of the Spirit at work today. The power of the Spirit didn't stop 2,000 years ago. The Spirit of God is still at work in the lives of believers and the church today, calling us to be His people in this place at this time. We're not the Galatians. We're not the Ephesians. We're not the Thessalonians. We're the Borgesians, the Marltonites, the Berliners, the Cherry Hillites, the, I don't know, if I left your town out, you can come up with your own ite. Uh, that's who we are. We're living the gospel now. We're making a difference now in this place in this time. 
And the Holy Spirit is the guide. And that's the prayer. It's not just, oh, Lord, bless this person and bless that person, and this person's sick and that person's sick. You know, those are all fine, but our prayers can be so much richer and so much deeper and so much more uh, profound. You know, God, guide us. Give us direction. Give us a new vision, God. Challenge us. Call us into new places. Living, active, alive. So it was worship, study, it was prayer, and generosity. It's the fourth spiritual discipline you see in those six verses, generosity. They were selling their stuff and giving to people in need. And that probably more than anything else is what made them distinct in their, in their time and in that place. Here are people who are giving their own stuff away to help other people. What is that all about? Why are they so generous? What is different about them? And it's no different today. When a church, when a gathering of people are generous, meaning that they don't clutch onto their stuff with a death grip, mine, but live with an openness, a willingness to share, a desire to help others. When you have that kind of openness, people see it. It's attractive. It's, there's a winsomeness about it, right? That's the church. And it's a spiritual discipline, you know, of learning what it means to hold on to stuff lightly. So, we live in a dangerous world where you can be in your office and have a guy with a grudge and a gun come in and destroy lives. These are serious times where we need to be the church. And to be the church, we need people of faith who are growing in that faith. Not sitting on the sidelines, not inert, but growing. So that we can be a voice of hope, a voice of love into a broken world. It's a big challenge. But we don't do it alone. We do it in the power of the Holy Spirit and with each other. Amen? Let's stand together. <clears throat> Let's pray. God, thank you for allowing us the incredible privilege of being a part of your dream community, the church. To be a part of a group of disciples. who are growing and whose growth is making a difference in their lives and by extension touching the lives of others. Lord, we know how many uh, how we miss the mark. We know that we're uh, we fall short of the standard of perfection. 
And so our desire, Lord, is um, that we would continue to grow. That we would never uh, feel like we've arrived. And that we would allow you to use us however you choose to use us to be a blessing to our friends and neighbors, to our community, to our, to our nation. And all of the praise and all of the honor, all of the glory is yours, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Have a great day.